If you're struggling to lose weight, you've probably heard about weight loss medications like Wigovi or ZepBound, and you might be wondering if they're right for you. Meet Plush Care, a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. If you qualify, they can safely prescribe you medication from the comfort of your own home. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. I pulled the money out and I was like, yeah, let me get those pills. Uh, and he's like, oh, he's like, I got some of that fentanyl powder if you want to try it. Literally just a split second. But in my brain, and mind you, I'm getting ready to go to treatment like in two days. I'm probably drunk and have pills in my system, but it just like my life flashed before my eyes. I'm huh. like, if you try this that you've been wanting to try, more than likely you're going to drop dead. Knocking doors down is all about turning your greatest adversities into your greatest advantage. Your host, Jason Lachance here. I've struggled with addiction issues as well as mental health issues that include depression and anxiety. And through the process of my recovery and personal growth, I developed a passion for speaking with people who have taken those dark times and found purpose on the other side. And I'm knocking doors down with Joey Guerriero. Joey, like many, fell into opioid addiction through a sports injury when he got prescribed opioids for the pain. At that point, though, Joey, in reflection, realizes he was an alcoholic long before he became an opioid addict. Joey opens up about how it went from opioid dependency to full-blown addiction and several rock-bottom moments, but the final moment when he reflected upon what he was doing and realized he was on a path to an early death. Joey has built a purposeful life. Not only has he focused in on his mental and physical fitness, he also started a non-alcoholic CBD, CBG, non-THC wine called Crybaby. Joey's even offering 20% off to knocking doors down listeners. If you hit the link in the podcast description, use code KDD. Again, you get 20% off. And I got to tell you, Crybaby wine, I thoroughly enjoyed it. Primarily, my prior, you know, my my DOC drug of choice was 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 alcohol. Not that I didn't try other things; I tried a lot of other things. But um, you know, I at the end, my I think I was talking to my girlfriend about it. But you know, for me, it was just not to get sick anymore. You know, like I would yeah. for whatever reason, I could wake up and get through the day. But come around that five o'clock time and the anxiety and the shakes, it was there, man. And you know, I just don't want to be sick in it at, at any point. Um, absolutely. That was my whole thing with opiates. Was It was all like Flint and I hear that guy saying all the time. Literally, that was it. After like the first six months, nine months or whatever, which turned into 10 years, was like wow. just to not be sick. When did you start? Opioids, is it something that you tried? Was there an injury? What? Yeah, basketball. Playing, playing adult league basketball, it oh. broke my ankle and... I'd never really liked Vicodin or any of that. And then, I mean, I fucked my ankle up bad. And like um, that first day of just laying in bed with Vicodin, I was like, ah, oh, this isn't strong enough. I don't know why I said <laughs> that. And then they gave me Norcos, which is just double oh. strong. And like, it was like first two days. And I was like, this is heaven. Like, yeah. I just thought it felt great all Th of a sudden. This was a solution, huh? Yeah. I mean, I wasn't even thinking about like, this was like in 2000. 2009 or 10 so i mean i wasn't even thinking of like 
oh, I'm going to get addicted. And, da, 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 sure. da. and then nine months later, after surgery and f- physical therapy and all that, then uh, the doctor's like, I'm just trying to get another refill. Oh, you don't need that anymore. I'm like, the fuck I don't, because if I don't take them, I don't feel good. Yeah. And they were easy to get. I knew people that sold them for cheap back then too. It was like less than three bucks a pill. And then by 2019, I was paying anywhere from eight to twelve dollars a pill just for a Norco. And yeah. I was taking up to thirty a day. Yeah, as an ass, what was your dose? That's bananas, man. Yeah, and then I had a guy that I would buy a, get pills from, and he would. Uh, he was selling me fentanyl patches for a while that his mom was getting. She was dying of cancer, and she, she either didn't want them or he took them from her, one or the other. But he's like, yeah, he's like, cut a little piece off and chew on it like gum. And those were great. Didn't last very long. And then he was selling me Opana pills that had a coating on them. And he's like, yeah, he's like, just wipe the, get a wet cloth and wipe it off and put it in a pill grinder. And, and I was like, hell yeah. And I was like, wow, this is great. Just one little, you know, two to that. And it's like, it lasts a long time. This is economical for me. <laughs> yeah, that's what I was hearing. It's interesting you bring that up is about fentanyl, the people that I've known that have used it. Like, yeah, they did, you know, the reason I was going back so much is because it doesn't last that long, you know? It was kind of like a quick oh, hitter. Really? And, um, you know, I think we're seeing that more. I mean, it's scary what they're mixing fentanyl with now. You know, uh, yeah, the Trank and Croc out there with, the, you know, mixed with animal tranquilizers. And it's just oh, like. I, I'd be dead for sure. Like, because that, it was really hitting the Fresno area, like, right when I got sober. Somewhere in 2019 is when, like, the little blue, they call them Roxies. Yeah. Um, those are floating around Fresno laced with fentanyl. And this main guy that I always got pills from he always had those blue pills and i don't know like i always considered him my moral drug dealer because he seemed to be like on the up and up like always buying the prescriptions from like older people right and he's like no these are definitely from a pharmacy he's like there's like i went and got them and i'm like okay i trust you i guess but I, was like, <laughs> I don't want any shit that you got third hand you know right. what I mean? while you're checking knocking doors down out don't forget to hit the subscribe button and if you get a lot out of this podcast share with a friend and don't forget the archive of interviews we have bam margera brandon novak kat von d charlie sheen edward furlong kelly osborne the list goes on and on of amazing guests that have been on the podcast sharing how they have found purposeful lives speaking of purpose how about a lifestyle brand with purpose 5150 ltm that's right not only is it a lifestyle brand that can fit whatever it is you're trying to achieve in life but they give back to the community and you the listener of knocking doors down get 20 percent off every time you shop at 5150LTM. All you have to do is use the code KDD20 at checkout and get 20% off. And how does 5150 give back to the community? Portions of the sales benefit the Carlos Vieira Foundation. Their three amazing programs, the race to end the stigma, the race for autism, and the race to be drug free. More on the Carlos Vieira Foundation, go to carlosvierafoundation.org. The week of going to treatment, I was like, I need something to, you know, just make sure that I don't get sick. So instead of my typical 20 or 30 pills a day, I can just, you know, ration it out, you know, live off of eight or nine a day. <clears throat> and then I'm going to need, you know, probably a few Xanax to take care of the alcohol withdrawals just for that day. And a few weeks prior to that, this guy was like, yeah, he's like, 
he's like, dude, he's like, I don't know if you want to try this fentanyl powder or whatever. He's like, you know, it's hella strong and dangerous, but just a little bit goes a long way. And I kept telling him like, oh yeah, whenever you get that powder, let me know. And so then I had decided to go to treatment. And then that's when I wanted to get just a few pills. And when I go get them that night, I walk into a university hotel right across from Fresno State. And it's just a dirty, filthy, old, cheap hotel, motel. And I walk in and <clears throat> he's got like this really gross looking woman with him who's not his, the mother of his like five kids that he has. And she's like really gross looking. And she's snorting something. And uh, I'm like, this is this is a fucked up situation. <laughs> and I was like, I pulled the money out and I was like, yeah, let me get those pills. Uh, and he's like, Oh, he's like, I got some of that fentanyl powder. If you want to try it literally just a split second. But in my brain and mind you, I'm getting ready to go to treatment. Like in two days, I'm probably drunk and have pills in my system, but it just like my life flashed before my eyes. I'm uh, like, if you try this, that you've been wanting to try, more than likely you're going to drop dead with these disgusting people and you're going to be dead and your family's going to be told like what happened yeah and i mean i just like was like no i'm good thank you and i left and like i mean i literally saw my life flash before my eyes because the main reason i went to treatment was obviously to get help because i didn't know how to do yeah. what i wanted to do but um for like six months i was like borderline suicidal i was gonna kill myself i thought about a bunch of different ways and um like there was just no way i could do that to my parents but like that's how how deep and you know, how much pain i was in and didn't know what to do about it i mean i was gonna like break a mirror and, and like stab myself in the neck and make it look like an accident i mean who thinks of things like that oh yeah and uh we have a house up in the foothills my dad does and i was like oh there's an area up there on that four acres i could just go park my car behind a rock and get my shotgun and poof, just end it there like countless different ways and so um i was like yeah there's no way i'm trying that <clears throat> that powder i'm out of here yeah fuck that's one of those yeah I think that's probably like your first God shot that you really got in the process, man. Yeah, no, I think it was for sure. That's bananas, man. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I found for me, I'm pretty lucky that I never overly got confronted with, okay, I tried, you know, this once or twice or whatever it was. And then for me, like I got, uh, when I got my vasectomy, uh, they gave me Vicodin for pain. And, and of course I'm like, oh, okay, I'll have it with a beer. And I luckily got sick. Yeah, that's for me good. lucky and a lot yeah. of people are like oh i got sick but i did it again for me that was enough because i'm my rationale was like well it takes me like 30 of these cans of this stuff to even feel like that so uh, mm -hmm. i'll just stick with this yeah. i got really lucky because i have family members that opioids is what took them down yeah. but they were to the point you one it was took it took his own life because there didn't see a way out and the other was drinking with it and s smoking a cigarette passed out and lit his place on fire Jeez. you know so it's like yeah. it's 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 crazy and thank you for being that vulnerable to share that because i don't think people understand that don't suffer from the disease of addiction the insanity of it because it is it is i mean it is like so insane <clears throat> i i mean I, like I said, it started about 2009 or 10. I can't remember the exact year, <clears throat> but 
three years into it was where I was like, I was fed up with it, but <clears throat> too prideful and too ashamed to like, yeah, I always drank and I probably always, I've probably been an alcoholic a lot longer than I really thought I was, mm. but um, it really compounded with <clears throat> the pills. And then everybody would be like, how could you take pills and drink at the same time? I'm like, how can you not? The more pills I take, the more I can drink. Like, <laughs> the party just keeps going. Like, it's supposed to be a downer. I said, well, not for me. And, um, and so in about 2013, I was in a relationship and, um, and it was with a, a girl that lived in Sacramento. So like, it was like every other weekend she would come here, I would go there. And then like after new year's, like all of a sudden she was like, just ghosted me and we'd been dating for, I don't know, eight or nine months. <clears throat> come to find out years later, the reason she ghosted me is she thought I was drinking too much. I'm like, mm -hmm. well, if you like liked me or loved me, like you could have expressed that and like tried to help me as opposed to just saying I drink too much. So I don't want to see this guy anymore, but I'm like, whatever. But like when that happened, um, I was like, you know, upset. Cause I was like, yeah, this is, this chick's cool. It's been a really good relationship. Mm -hmm. And all of a sudden she just ghosted me. Um, so of course the pills got worse. She didn't know I was taking pills. She just thought I drank, but it all just got worse for like another couple of months. And then I heard about this miracle drug called Suboxone. Oh, <laughs> and, uh, and believe me, I didn't know anything about it. I just knew another fellow addict that had been getting it and said it like changed their life and i'm like okay great so the miracle's here thank god <laughs> and so i went to this doctor and yada yada and he so he started prescribing that to me and i'm like wow this is great i wake up in the morning put a little strip in my mouth put another strip in my mouth in the evening and like i don't need to take pills i don't i'm not yeah. sick well obviously it turns out that's i mean the exact same thing as taking norco oxy fentanyl whatever like it's yeah. just the same thing it just and then they tell you not to take pills if that's in your system because you'll get sick well you know after a couple months i'm like oh, i could take some pills here and there maybe i'll take a couple days off a week and so i can manage my pills i don't have to you know i have to worry about like getting sick anymore i'd on a friday morning i would take the suboxone and i don't know middle of the day on friday i'd start popping pills for the rest of the day and night and drinking and never had an ill effect from it and huh. um so anyways i would just go back and forth like i'd go like i don't know maybe three weeks really on suboxone and then i'd be like okay i saved a little bit of money i'll just get pills and just get fucked up you know for a while for another couple weeks or something i was going back and forth for oh probably two years or so and you'd go to the doc this doctor and just be like he'd ask you these uh questions about withdrawals symptoms you answer them honestly and, and he's like do you feel like you need to change your dose i'm a drug addict what do you think yeah. i'm gonna say <laughs> right. like, no let's I keep do. it the same yeah, yeah it's like you know? hey joe you want another drink <laughs> yeah you fucking ain't right i want to yeah drink. exactly the Knockin' Doors Down book shares all the history and inspiration behind the Carlos Vieira Foundation and how it all started. All proceeds from the book benefit the Carlos Vieira Foundation's Race to Be Drug-Free campaign. So what's that all about? Through the Race to Be Drug-Free campaign, Carlos Vieira Foundation raises awareness about drug abuse, donates to drug-free programs, and brings drug-free speakers into schools to educate youth. The Race to Be Drug-Free campaign's main program is the Gloves Not Drugs boxing program. 
This program is completely free for kids between the ages of 8 and 17 to learn discipline, strength, respect, camaraderie, and the art of boxing. The program was created to keep kids off the streets, out of gangs, and away from drugs. For more info and to get involved, check out carlosvierafoundation.org. And so then, I don't remember, something happened. It was like, I just stopped going to him because I don't know. I was like, I'd rather spend the money on pills and like pills like crazy again. And then January of 2016, week before the Super Bowl, um, <clears throat> I was back home living with my mom because my stepdad had passed away. And I got like this bloody nose that wouldn't stop. And it wasn't like a normal bloody mm -hmm. nose. I could tell it was like just not good. And uh, so I had her take me to the hospital. And um, they said I popped a blood vessel like up in my, above my nasal cavity or something. My blood pressure was like, 190 something over like 120 or 130 like something outrageous and so i did not allow my mom to come back worth to talk to the doctors yeah you know i'm in my mid-30s at the time and she kind of got mad and i'm like i don't lie to doctors and i need to tell them some things and you just don't need to hear them <laughs> and so i told the doctor i'm like yeah i take 20 30 pills a day drink every single day you know whether wine beer liquor whatever and uh so they obviously told me like well that's the problem here and you know you mm -hmm. need to stop and um i stopped drinking for almost that whole year but i kept taking pills and um but i like tapered off a little bit uh, you know this is me that was a perfect opportunity to say i need help because i don't know how to handle this and i don't know what to do but stubborn, prideful, <laughs> all of the above, you know? Well, and the not being rich. How are you even generating an income at this time? Well, it never, it did, at this point, it still had not affected my job. Yeah. Um, well, around that time is actually when it, it did start affecting my job. Um, I was an insurance agent, an insurance broker, and I just kind of stopped going to the office. Like I would work from home kind of and do the bare minimum. I wasn't looking for new clients. What, right around the time this was happening, um, I would check in with my assistant like on an email and have her do some things for me. And the owners of the agency like showed up at my house one day because they're like, you know, are you okay? Like no one's really seen you at the office. And you know, I bullshitted them and was like, yeah, you know, I'm in a sneak in and out or whatever and da 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 da. And like um, at that point, yeah, I caught up that I was, you know, my bullshit was only gonna last so much longer. Right. And <clears throat> um, yeah, because a lot of people don't realize that's usually, you know, one of the last things that ends up affected, especially for men, is like our job. Mm -hmm. It's kind of like, well, when you start losing the job, it's like, oh, that's that's when shit's like really, really bad. Yeah. And but, you know, I was a deceitful drug addict, alcoholic, could tell a story to, the, to make, you know, family believe it. Um, but yeah, so then it got to a point with those guys. They're like, all right, you know, this just isn't working out like. You know, if you're going to stay in the insurance business, like, you know, we're not going to, you can take your clients, you know, we're not going to fight you on that. You can have them. Or if you feel like you want to do something else, we could probably get another guy in the agency to buy your book. So I was convinced I just hated insurance. That was the whole problem. It wasn't the fact that I was addicted to pills and an alcoholic. It was just, <laughs> I hated insurance. <clears throat> so sold the book of business to a buddy of mine's brother that worked there and, uh, it was like okay cool and then i went to work for a client who was a friend of mine uh worked for him for like helped him run his electrical contracting business for i don't know a year and a half maybe two years but guess what 
the time he was on meth i didn't even know it <clears throat> but he was also a source for pills for me too and so that was like we got stuff done but i was like this is great i can work with my buddy and like get fucked up <laughs> get fucked up all the time like go to his house and work from his house and like just right. sit there and drink vodka and take pills while i'm working this is fantastic um and then that obviously just stopped working out because he was fucked up i was fucked up and um yeah so then <laughs> I ended up getting a medical sales job, which I actually always wanted to get into that field just because of the money. Like I had a couple of friends and one of my cousins that are in that industry, like selling medical devices. They make a lot of money yeah. and it's like, that uh, sounds great. And so I got a job with a lab selling uh, swabs and I did the bare minimum, of course, because my number one job was finding pills. Yeah. Uh, did all these lunches and presentations at these doctor's offices all around Fresno and even down into Bakersfield. Um, but didn't do much follow-up and get them to start actually using the product. And so eventually that caught up to me as well. And that was the first time I was actually like really fired. Mm. Um, they just said, you're not performing. I'm like, well, I'm doing everything you guys said, except, you know, getting the actual sales. And they're like, well, that's what a sales job is, <laughs> getting the sales. <laughs> well, you see, Joey, we need you to generate the income. <laughs> exactly. Uh, so that was like in August, I think, of 2019. And uh, got let go, first time fired. And I'm like, wow, no health insurance, no nothing. I didn't know, really know what to do. Like. So I just didn't really say anything to anybody. Like I said, I was living with my mom. I still had like some money to pay for things. And I was like, oh, I'll figure it out. And got up, got dressed. Like I was going to work every day. Cause I worked from home with that job. It was an actual like remote job. And I just kept doing that. And then I'd go help with uh, some events that my dad's was doing with the wine business and be like, oh yeah, you know, I told my boss that, you know, I'm cool. I got some extra time, right. yada, yada, yada. And then that was like, that lasted almost two months and that's when i was like i was laying in bed one night with all these suicidal thoughts and i was like there's no way i'm gonna do this so i need help mm -hmm. and uh back in 1996 on my birthday my 16th birthday my dad paid to have my older cousin uh go to his i think it was his third time in treatment because my aunt was like i'm done i can't do it anymore and i went and visited him and it was up in Tuolumne County, a place called Maynard's Recovery Center. Okay. And uh, for some reason I thought of that. And I was like, I need to go where my cousin went. Um, so I emailed him, I sent him this long email, I still have it, like just telling him everything that was going on. Cause he's been sober ever since. He had like a two year relapse, like in like around 2009, 10. But he's been sober since like 2011 or 12 again and uh, sent him a big long email of everything that was going on, everything that I was thinking about and all this. And he's like, you need to find out. He's like, I'm absolutely gonna take you, make sure they have room. And he picked me up two days later. Hmm. And uh, on the way there, he's like, so he's like, we have to call your dad because you don't have health insurance and the place isn't free. All right. <laughs> <laughs> like, I was like, yeah, that's a good point. Um, He's like, what are you gonna do if he says no? I'm like, I haven't gotten that far because I don't think he'll say no. And he's like, well, he's like, I don't think he will either, but you gotta just be prepared. And I'm like, 
okay and uh so we called him i couldn't talk i was like just bawling crying and uh my dad like kind of freaked out but he was like yeah i'll take care of it like whatever and so that was uh, a rough ride but <clears throat> as soon as i got off we got off the phone with him my dad had called my mom my parents been divorced since i was like eight or nine mm -hmm. but i started getting um text messages <clears throat> from my immediate family just all telling me they love me so <clears throat> that night when i got i got to maynard's in the morning but that night was the first time that i can remember that my head hit the pillow and i just went to sleep huh it was like the the weight of the world was lifted off my shoulders yeah and um it was just crazy to me because i'm like i'm not questioning my timing or anything but i'm like who would have known it was this easy yeah yeah i think like you said that it's the pride the ego the I don't know about you, you know, I kind of shared some of my childhood stuff. I felt like a burden early on, you know what I'm saying? So, like, mm -hmm. a lot of that carried through, you know? And so, for me, like any other addict, you know, hey, this, you know, oh, okay, grabbing the, yeah. ah, the can, and there it goes, and the, that switch has been flipped. And um, it's just, uh, where do you think, like, looking back, I mean, other than maybe you shared, the, you know, cousin that addiction, so potentially predisposition within the genes or family and so on but like what what was joey kid i mean because you know i mean i look yeah. at you now and I'm like hey, yeah all, no all it's jacked like, and yeah. you know i mean were you that's were my you new addiction is fit, fitness I, and, and healthy living and so be much better man yeah but um, but like as a kid were you did you feel like an outsider did you did the, the, your parents divorce have an impact Packed on you in reflection i mean you know because sometimes there's all that infighting between your parents what sucks yeah no like that i i finally started therapy about two months ago um and that was actually like the number one thing i wanted to do when i got out of treatment and i didn't like avoid it it just kind of got put on the back burner and then COVID happened a few months later right. and so everything was shut down and then like i just didn't even think about it and so i had some things happen recently that i'm like okay i need to figure out exactly what you just asked me or at least kind of try to figure it out so i'm working on figuring that out but yeah i mean my childhood was pretty good like we were a normal family like as i was growing up i thought oh i thought we were rich i mean we weren't rich but like right. you know we were spoiled had everything we wanted but yeah my parents fought a lot uh, which is then you know, getting divorced like I said when I was like eight or nine <clears throat> but they um, they co-parented before that was even a word as far as I can remember like <clears throat> we were with our mom on the week dad on the weekend so guess what weekends were with dad that was always party right. fun like whatever he liked to party and <clears throat> um, but you know he yelled a lot like I mentioned I think before we started recording he's if you a real life tony soprano that's my dad <laughs> <laughs> the full-blooded Italian. exactly and he looks and sounds just like him and he screams like him yells like him but at the same time he loves you and he'll do anything for you <laughs> with but, that said can you tell anyone what gabagool actually is exactly yeah right? i don't know i can't even give an explanation it's like a sausage a salami yeah i'm getting like people that what's gabagool i'm like i don't know prosciutto or something like yeah, that it's you know close. it's like, it's the, just yeah, like the, salami that's just yeah. like spicier it's just funny 
mean, the gabagool people yeah. always, what the hell is it? Googling, you know? Yeah, and then you can't spell it either because right. I don't think it's spelled out. It sounds. What, what was that, the office? Yeah, give me the gabagool. Yeah, <laughs> it's exactly. Like, all right. Sorry to say, no. I had to throw that yeah. one in. No, absolutely. Uh, That's actually my dad's favorite one of those salamis. He was just telling me the other day he was eating it because he was, went to New York last month and he brought a bunch of that stuff home. I'll be damned. Okay. But, uh, and he's from there originally. But, um, but yeah, like he was, it was kind of traumatic, but it wasn't like a lot of verbal abuse, but like that was just normal. Yeah. to us it right. was normal to him because that's the, his background and where he came from but um looking at it now it's like yeah that it's probably not that like people don't really talk to their kids like that yeah. especially these days yeah. um, but like it was no, no nothing like crazy trauma like we weren't beat as children like we were disciplined my dad would spank us smack us whatever my mom would spank us smack us and not like but it wasn't abusive. It was like, yeah, you did something wrong. Like yeah. back then you got hit as a kid. Um, but I've been trying to figure it out. Like there's just like, I feel, I, I just don't really know, but like, yeah. I always wanted to like have fun. And like I mentioned with my cousin, when I was 16, I was like, this is something that I'm always going to think about because I don't want to end up being here where he is. And I'm not bullshitting. Like I literally told myself that. And then, 23 years later i was there yeah. i didn't want to try any drugs in high school like i tried pot and all that i drank you know but i wanted to be the sober driver because i got like a cool car when i turned 16 and i wanted to be the sober driver and then i'd occasionally drink and then of course got a little bit older more drinking more drinking <clears throat> um, but i wanted to stay away from drugs because i didn't yeah. want to end up like my cousin and uh got tricked into trying cocaine one time when I was like, I don't know, my early 20s. Like these guys, my two of my good friends, they're just bullshitting me and they're like, oh, it's not cocaine, it's it's Ritalin. You know, it's legal. Like, <laughs> like that's gonna and be... we, we were drunk as hell and yeah. I was like, okay, well, as long as it's not cocaine, then I think it's okay, Yeah, you know, whatever. But tried that and never really liked it. And then I ended up doing cocaine a few times like in vegas here and there and it was always like when i was just like really drunk so it was just yeah. like whatever yeah um yeah the first time and only time i ever did cocaine we it, it, whoever had the vial ended up spilling it on their laps and we're at this party i mean well to do people so here it is like this dude he's got his hot wife she's snorting the line off my buddy's what essentially his where his dick would be yeah and and i'm hammered and i'm like okay and and so my reflection of it was i got paranoid the first time like i had a nice saline mustang we're in san francisco i'm peeking out the window like every two minutes like somebody's stealing it and i'm like so i already paranoid which i hate being paranoid and I'm already doing this drug, drug off of essentially someone's dick with just a layer of fabric covering it. Yeah, I don't think I'm going to do that again. It wasn't, yeah, yeah. It, wasn't, it wasn't like a cool story. Like, yeah, some stripper's ass crack. Yeah. No, it's my butt. Yeah, Buddy, because no, exactly. he spilt it. And here it is, this guy's wife that uh, I believe even my uh, – I would have to ask my friend. My recollection was he told me, hey, yeah, they're kind of in an open marriage, so be careful. And I, they were eyeing me up or something. And I'm like, okay, all this too much. Yeah, that no. could have been turned into a lot more. <laughs> yeah, right I'll there. stick with the booze with the old guys that sit there, you yeah. know, or whatever. So. <laughs> yeah, no, exactly. Like that's, uh, yeah, I've, I mean, I look at it as like, luckily, I was like, ah, I didn't really like it. Yeah. And so, I, like I said, a handful of times, but again, I was always stay away from drugs. And then I, one time on a Sunday, probably around that same age, early 20s, I had a 
group of my buddies all live together in a house and we're like hung over on a Sunday all hanging out watching golf or something and gonna have some beers and one of my buddies is like oh here dude why don't you guys each take a Vicodin and I'm like tried that when I had my wisdom teeth pulled out and it made me sick and he's like ah just try it and I was like all right whatever and I took one and it was just like whatever like mm-hmm. made me really tired and I was like I, I definitely don't like those and then again fast forward like five six years later just one two days laying in bed with a fractured or not fractured a broken ankle and just popping those pills like who would have known and I went from like saying I don't like this I don't want to do drugs to like oh I need this because I need the pain to go away because you know God forbid I just lay in pain like I'm gonna freaking die or something and then, then that was it yeah that's the the I don't know if it's irony per se but the really scary thing about this disease you know and you're talking about it like by the time the ankle's broken your late 20s yeah okay so right late 20s so brain's fully developed at this point for me my alcoholism people don't believe like i was the guy that got people home in high school mm-hmm. you know i didn't yeah. i didn't drink you know dad was an act i said the same thing i'm never gonna do this and then at about 22 coming out of my shell i started working in radio and you know oh, i want to talk to women at that point it was always usually somebody i knew for a long time or women that 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 hit on me you know i'm like ah i want to be a little more outgoing and it's like yep. okay here's the solution fast forward 26 27 28 you know it started to get off to the races real quick yep in reflection then i didn't think anything of it because i was around a bunch of people that it seemed really normal that's what we were all doing so exactly. <laughs> it's normal you yep. know no for sure that was exactly what i did like all my friends everybody would drink on friday saturday nights like cool for me I don't know, like in my mid-20s, it started, well, Thursday nights sounded like a good time to drink, too, because, you know, Friday's a little easier at work. You probably get out of there early, like whatever. Thursday's dollar beer night. Yeah. We're going to save some money. Yeah, yeah. so we went know. from Friday, Saturday to Thursday, Friday, Saturday, and then it's like, ooh, Sunday night baseball's on. You like to cook, get a couple you know, people to hang out and cook a nice dinner and have some drinks. Well, shit, then the next thing you know, you're drinking every day. Yeah. <laughs> and then, like... <laughs> it's just like looking at it now it's just like what uh the lack of self-awareness just in general and to i'm just like grateful as hell every day that i'm like the blinders are off and and like i don't consider myself to be like this enlightened individual but i think a certain degree i kind of am because we're all programmed to behave certain ways when i was in treatment i think it was the second day i was there and like we were going to class and that treatment center is fantastic because they don't there's no bullshit there's no real downtime um but anyways somebody mentioned like yeah we're gonna go into programming i'm like what what do you, why do they call it programming and then they're like because we're all programmed and so they're gonna like reprogram us and i was like bullshit you can't program people like that's the dumbest thing i've ever heard well then guess what i started thinking about it all day every day for about the next week and i realized every single behavior that we all have we're programmed to to think and act certain ways and that's from the way we celebrate things to the way we handle you know sad situations to the way we just go about our lives and food choices beverage choices just in general like Mm -hmm. it's not intuition that tells us to go to mcdonald's and get a double cheeseburger and to go to in and out and to go here and there like no it's convenient and it's easy and it's in your face yeah well it's just the way our you know we got 
I think people forget we have this thousand-year-old piece of machinery sitting atop our body that is, it, it's got a really interesting reward system, mm-hmm. and it will override your conscious thoughts, you know. Our subconscious is, is stronger than people give it, because the vast majority of what we do in a day, I forget what something like, they say 98% of all actions are subconscious, you know, everything. Really? Yeah, the way we, you know, the way we move, it's like natural for you to say, really raise your eyebrows or things you've yeah. said to me. It's, it's, this is all just stuff that it's, it's how we've developed over time, so. You know, people like us that I think it's they say like nine percent of people that they can have through studies say is that addiction gene or that addiction brain or whatever it is. Um, our reward system learned this over time, or as it's passed down with lineage, you know, mm-hmm. it's it's how it is in our body. I mean. I've tried to lift weights, eat like crazy, get to what yoked. It doesn't work. I'm built like this. It just is. Yeah, yeah. That's just how it is. Um, You know, I can gain some, but I'm not getting up to like a good 210. It's just probably not naturally not going to happen. You know, Uh, I can't consume enough food. But so you know, we're we're built in a certain way. So yeah, with our reward system, I mean, we completely. You know, it's like okay. You know, and one drink was fine, but boy, my brain likes two, three, four, and it likes it with the pill, and it likes it, and then eventually the brain just wants to take over, and it's like, fuck what your body wants, yep. fuck, you know, it doesn't, it does your reward system doesn't care about your heart, your kidney, your liver, your gut, none of it, it doesn't, yep. it it just wants to be like, ooh, more dopamine, more serotonin, give me more of that, and, and we become so subconscious with our addiction, like you're saying, you showed up at a hotel room. Some lady, you know, just whatever, gacked out of her mind, some shady dude you've never met, mm-hmm. you know, I don't know. I, I think that desire for that reward system, that's how strong it is to oh, take over to absolutely. just, you know, I mean, because no, like, reflecting, I mean, we can admit it now, driven drunk, I have paid the price for it. Um, sitting here now, I'm like, I can't even fathom that I did that. Oh. Like how irresponsible for me to, to society and other people and my family and forget my own property in life, you know. And so it's just like, yeah, that's it's how far our brain is. It's like, yeah, but I need another twelve pack. Yeah, no, know? I, yeah, full on. So I, like I mentioned, I was in insurance for about ten years. I ended up getting a. I always drove a truck or an SUV my whole life, and then insurance driving around. I decided to get a Prius because I'm like. And I'm big, I'm like about 6'2", but at that time I was probably like 250, 260 pounds and, you know, no muscles, just fat. (laughs) And, uh, but I fit in the Prius and I'm like, oh, 50 miles a gallon, that's great, right? So, I don't know, I'm just assuming the reason I didn't get pulled over, get a DUI, all those years of driving around is because, I don't know, maybe cops just don't look at the Prius. (laughs) But, you know, um, I had mentioned before we started recording, you know, my cousin's the Fresno County District Attorney. Right. So I realized, like, after I got sober, I'm like, wow. Like, when I would go pick up this guy in a horrible area of town, this guy who, like, had just been out of prison recently, and go to the west side of Fresno, which is a not so good part of town, so he could go buy some pills from somebody he knows so he could get back in my car and sell them to me and then I gotta take him. And I'm probably high and drunk at the same time while this is all going on, I'm like, not to mention, yeah, if I could kill somebody driving around and then like, what about this family stuff? Like if I got pulled over 
Like, how does that look on my cousin? She's got to prosecute me. She can't do me any favors. Um, But yeah, I drove, I wrecked my car once. I got distracted on, in a neighborhood street and uh, hit a trailer. I was only going like 15 miles an hour, but I hit the trailer kind of hard and messed up my car. And I didn't stop. It was like 10 o'clock at night. Like, why would I stop? Why would I let them know, hey, I hit your trailer? Right. No, because I'm a stupid, drunken drug addict, and I f- went home and you know, t- had my car taken care of. And so, thank God it wasn't a person or you know anything else, but like, yeah, I mean, I drove around loaded all day, every day, and drunk quite often. Yeah. But like, I was like always trying to be like, okay, you're going the speed limit, you're driving straight, you're just going to go here just to get that, like just justifying oh, it. Yeah. And it was like, looking back at it, it's just like telling myself, I'm like, you have no idea how lucky you are. Yeah. I mean, you'd never, you did not kill anybody most importantly, and you didn't get a DUI. Mm-hmm. Like you could have killed yourself in prison, you know, whatever, all kinds of things. And, and sorry for the long rant, but no, it's good back what you're saying. It was like, yeah, because I was like justifying it and chasing the dopamine rewards and all that. Yeah, yeah, and and we're just, and it takes a lot of work for us. I mean, let's talk more about that reprogramming process because it's it's work to rethink. We like like, you know, like we were talking before we were recording. Like I had to change some of the stories of, that I told myself about things like with trauma, like that it was my fault as a kid or or I was a burden or whatever, you know? I mean, it's it, and it's crazy, the ego, you know? I mean, I'm sure you've met people overly inflated ego, they're the greatest person oh, yeah. on the planet. Well, the person's like, I'm the worst piece of shit. Uh, you're just as bad. It's it's the same coin, mm-hmm. you know? It's like, are you really, are you really the worst person? Are you really the greatest person, you know? Right. Uh, so it's, uh, and I get, I would much rather be like Muhammad Ali than, than the self-deprecating person that's just like, oh, I'm not worth anything, wants to just go yeah. lay down and die. But, you know, at the end of the day, it's, uh, it's uh, that association with stories about our lives and ourselves and everything else you know so yeah let's talk that reprogramming like what did they kind of go into and what really stuck for you well i mean like me i realized i i had like major self-esteem issues i was more of like what you were just talking about like i thought i was a piece of shit Mm -hmm. i really did but i didn't realize it like i just like i had like for some reason all these just deep feelings that I was just worthless and no good and whatever and a liar and all that good stuff. Um, in treatment, a lot of the things just that clicked because I like convinced myself, just mind games of myself that, okay, your emotions and the way you handle pretty much everything based on your emotions has gotten where you are. Mm-hmm. You're here because you need help. And so I just told myself I'm like, everything I think I know is not right. Otherwise, I wouldn't be here. Whatever these people are going to tell me and ask me to learn and understand, I'm going to do it because they're here for a reason, too, and that's to help people like me. Mm-hmm. And so, I don't know. I kind of just started going on logic. Like, I, I, can't, I don't really have, like, a real example of reprogramming. Um, I just bought into the idea that we are programmed to behave a certain way. So, I just looked at it as, like, <clears throat> everything that I was doing how I was living my life, how I handled situations, how I saw everybody else living their lives and handling situations. None of us were really doing it by choice. 
we were it's all learned behaviors mm-hmm. that you learn from you know your friends or family mostly from family society advertising all that tells you this is what you're supposed to do and this is how you're supposed to act and this is all, like yeah it's this none of it's our fault this is yeah. yeah and so you know i mean every commercial or advertisement like around alcohol for example for the most part if it's something awesome that happened it's time to celebrate psh, you're yeah. supposed to get drunk if somebody died and it's a horrible situation you're supposed to get together be sad and get drunk yeah right. like that doesn't really make much sense to me and yeah it doesn't make anything better no well and that's the crazy thing about it too the people that it like like advertising works it is because it does i mean you know i can drive past from when i go to work there in fresno at parents and addicts in need 15 booze signs on the way oh, there yeah. you yeah. know at least and it's like you know hey this was this was the thing that was taking me down in life and i'm still getting advertised with the the chick with the big rack and and it yep. looks like good fun or or you know ha, have you know have your bud light with your whatever sport you're watching that weekend i mean it's just so freaking entrenched mm-hmm. and especially for guys we were talking before that like sports i mean watch a show like watch us watch a game how much it's there you know it's constantly up in our Always. face yeah so yeah these things that were sold this is happiness not just alcohol but life in general yeah it sticks up here and i had like like i was like really nervous once i left treatment about like just every scenario situation that i would be in any activity i wanted to do like i'd never really done anything sober like as an adult it was always like oh there was always alcohol right and i just told myself well whatever it is like if you're uncomfortable situation then you can just leave or you know you don't think it's going to be that fun well you're not going to know unless you try it whatever it was well guess what every single thing that i went to and that i did was way more fun than it had been for years without the alcohol so simple little things like that like helped me reprogram my brain because i'm like wow i thought all this time that i was supposed to get drunk and be high on pills to have a good time wasn't true Mm. and i think a lot of people in social situations and whatnot you know most people don't have most people are not alcoholics yeah but there's a reason they're drinking and that's because they don't want to be there and somebody tells them you know i mean society just says well you're in at this situation so you need to have some drinks that doesn't make sense to me yeah so again i don't go around telling people what to do and i mean we're in the wine business our fa- my family we sell wine real wine with alcohol in it but like i'm not about prohibition for anything but like let's just actually inform people so they yeah. can make informed decisions and you know everything they've done for like drunk driving and all that stuff like that's great but like believe me i have no solutions to anything <laughs> these are just my ideas but it's just like instead of like telling kids that like alcohol and drugs are bad for you they're gonna kill you like actually explain it like starting at whatever age like it should be in the curriculum no you're right a couple hours a week i mean the kids are in school for a long time yeah start just letting them know just so they can decide when they become of age to consume whatever they know what possibly can happen because none of us with this addiction gene know we have the gene until when until it's too late usually right so forget the addiction part it's just like these are actually the long-term health and consequences these are the behaviors they can like whatever 
I mean, that's that would be great to me if we could start doing something like that. 5150 is a lifestyle. We believe in pushing yourself, finding your passion, knowing your dreams and working hard, and always striving to make those dreams your reality. We believe life is too short to sit back and say, what if? Go after it, grab it, and make it happen. Being 5150 is committing to that long, hard road. That road you know is going to be tough, but the most rewarding. That's living the madness. That's 5150. If you're living the 5150 lifestyle, then celebrate by rocking the goods. So listen up. There's a special deal for listeners of Knocking Doors Down. Go to 5150LTM.com and enter code KDD20 and receive 20% off your purchase. That's 51FIFTYLTM.com. I always... uh half hard half joking say every school should have a 12-step program and i don't mean it like i agree hey here's an a but just those premises there you want world peace yeah indoctrinate (laughs) the whole world with the 12-step program yeah right i'm serious oh i agree but i and i agree on that i went and spoke at one of the local high schools a couple weeks back and that was my starter was was uh you know i'm making it clear to you i'm not against anything i'm just sharing my story with you and the consequences of you know these chemicals is like 30 minutes my story 30 minutes them asking questions you know i said the only thing i'm really against is, is, you know is like what's going on with fentanyl and being in everything just know it's in every it's getting the drug supply for everything and if you're thinking that like pot's harmless no that it's not like when you and i were in high school it's like the thc mm-hmm. count is crazy kids are having psychotic breaks with the amount of thc that's in some of this stuff and i said i'm just telling you it doesn't mean it's going to happen to you i'm just making you aware right you know this is what i went through these are what these things do you know i mean like you're talking earlier about like suboxone a common you know harm reduction right. thing, getting somebody out and you know the goal should always be a taper off in my opinion absolutely towards, towards abstinence what i believe in and some people long term i mean I, talking to someone that was on methadone for for like seven years and i'm talking a young person mm-hmm. it's like why would you continue to want to be strapped and live in your same two block radius you know because you can't go anywhere with methadone you forget your methadone you're fucked yep you no, go out sure. of town you know you can't i mean the suboxone too if you forget it yeah. like it's a prescription like you have it's more accessible than methadone but yeah if you forget it and you go out of town you're screwed yeah and like what you just said like having your hand straps like that's what like i realized like when i got out of treatment Cause like when I got there, they put me on, I don't remember what it was, some kind of medication to handle the alcohol withdrawal. Yeah. I'm tr- would it be, uh, it's okay. Go ahead. I'll probably come to me. Yeah. And then Suboxone, but guess what? It was for like three and a half or four days. Yeah. And like, that was it. And when I got out of treatment, I was just like, I felt like I had handcuffs removed because yeah. I'm like, I don't have a pocket full of pills or a few strips of Suboxone in my back pocket like to go anywhere like and a friend of mine an old my brother's old friend I hadn't seen in years he ended up in prison and he had been out of prison for probably less than a year when I ran into him at an AA meeting like right when I was out of rehab and he was a heroin addict and he told me he was like on Suboxone and he was kind of doing what I did he was going from Suboxone back to heroin back and forth um and then he last I heard from him was December. He had six months of sobriety of this most recent December, but uh, of total sobriety, no Suboxone or anything. But like I was, he was having trouble understanding the idea of getting off Suboxone. Yeah. And I'm like, yeah, man. I'm like, you know, you gotta do whatever you want to do. But for me, once I was 
just completely free. I'm like, you recently got out of prison. Like, that's what I imagine getting out of prison feels like right. is like literally not having to worry about like reaching for a bottle of fireball guzzle or a bottle of pills or suboxone just to function yeah. like just to not have to worry about that is like the most freeing thing ever yeah well and it and i think a lot of like you talk about this guy having trouble wanting to get off of that i mean the psychological factor of all this stuff you know i mean you know this is when it go, goes from usage to uh physical de or chemical dependency and then the physical side of it all you know into full-blown addiction it's like psychologically it's 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 tough like even my dad will tease me to go and visit and i'll have fizzy water or whatever it is and oh that's your new thing now huh and it's like there's there still is something about that motion the crack in the yeah. can hearing it something carbonated right. you know it's all still there you know it's something that it's a demon i gotta keep at bay yeah you know? no i mean i eyeball like if I see a prescription bottle on the counter, like or hear that I, shake, yeah, I still like see it. Like makes my ears perk up, but like I have literally zero desire to grab it. But like my mind goes, hmm, I wonder what's in there. Yeah, and it's just like because I mean I used to have a prescription bottle. I don't know about that round, that tall, and I could fit like forty Norcos in there. I could tell how many were in there by shaking it. Like I wouldn't even have to look at the bottle. I could just shake it and be like, hmm, I think I'm gonna have to start texting somebody to find some more mm -hmm. soon. And so, yeah, like that psychological part of it is, it's uh, crazy. Yeah. How do you maintain with the working in the wine business? How do you kind of keep your, like people, have you tasted this one? No, I have not. Yeah, like I, I've done two tastings like with one of our winemakers where like, I mean, this was recent, just like in the last couple months where like the way you're supposed to taste wine, like put it in your mouth, swish it around, and then yeah. like spit it out. Yeah. And it didn't affect me at all, except about, and like we tasted like three different wines and literally like an hour later though, I felt a little warm and I felt a little tired. Like I didn't feel like I was, I mean, I didn't drink it, but I was like, I don't know. Maybe I ingested some of it. I don't know, but I'm like, I'm cool off of that. I, but like, that was the first time I did it and I, I kind of needed to for, in this situation, but I could have gone without. Sure. But again, I'm not trying to drink alcohol. Like I think if I would have even swallowed that, no, I don't think I would have gone out and got drunk that day, but, um, I'm not trying to, yeah. I don't want to ingest that shit because ethanol is poison. It's not for human consumption, but yeah. yet humans have been drinking it for thousands of years and they're going to drink it forever. But to answer your question, um, I, I just don't have any, I was so over drinking and taking drugs by the time I got sober that the obsession was long gone. Mm. My obsession at that time was like, I need help, I need to figure out how to do this. And there's obviously no guarantee that I'll still be sober at the end of today, but that's my plan. But i don't know it's just i i'm thankful to god that i just don't really have any desire so being around it and like and i tell people like when we're doing trade shows with the non-alcoholic wine and the real wine and we're doing tastings and they ask me questions i'm like you know explain it best i can with the real wine and but i tell them well, i don't drink I, I quit drinking over three years ago and yeah leave that for you guys you guys look like the wine experts not me yeah <laughs> yeah um, i had a situation uh one of the mma events i do ring announcing i always get like a tonic water with the lime that way people leave me alone yeah. and don't try to well no they brought me a vodka tonic and of course i took a big old 
swig in there. I'm pretty sure I spit most of it out. I'm freaking out. The ring girls are there like, are you okay? I'm like, they brought me a vodka and tonic. Oh, yeah, booze is gross. I'm like, no, I'm in recovery. Like, yeah. it just like, you know, texting my sponsors like, bro, you're okay. Yeah. You didn't, you didn't break your time. You just wasn't on purpose. Like, how did the rest of the night go? I go, well, immediately in my head, I'm like, boy, if I finish this thing off, anybody that does know I have a problem, they're already probably drinking here, and I could probably totally get away with it and sober up before I even got home to my kids and girlfriend and everything else. Well, I could really get away with it. And then it was like, but I'll do it again tomorrow. Yep. And it'll get worse. It'll go from one drink or two drinks to 10 to not coming home. Uh, you know so he's like hey played it out you're good and isn't that amazing how we can play that out in our heads though we have to of course i mean that's a great thing and i think there's so many people that are not in recovery or that don't even have a problem they don't understand like that's how our brains operate yeah yeah well because we did i think we did so much planning of how to get our stuff that now we have to have the alternative of how we're not going to go down that road again you yeah. know yeah, for sure like i mean i'm sure you're you know mine was i guess a little more simple because my drug of choice was sold at every convenience store is as simple as okay i can grab some on the way home or hide it in the trunk and right. you know when the when the kids go to bed then i can go and i can have my you know my six pack or more usually or whatever it was um but yeah, I think we have to put that same energy now into these these little things. The reprogramming, like you said, yeah. like for you, fitness, man. I mean, you know, you're saying 250 pounds and it was obese, and now you, you know, I mean, damn, man. Yeah, now I'm uh, a lot different. Yeah. I, don't need, I don't need to throw my stats out there, but yeah, <laughs> a lot different. Uh, but and I started doing that just by like I wanted to move around. Right. Like I broke my ankle and started the whole thing with pills playing bass i mean i wasn't like in great shape then but i was in decent shape and played basketball two three times a week so once that injury happened up and for like 10 years i didn't do really any physical activity and guess why because i was always taking pills and thinking and then i was telling myself oh you don't know maybe you'll have a heart attack if you try to exercise <laughs> taking norcos which you know just whatever but yeah i just started like went to the gym just to like go do like 10 minutes of cardio and then like a few days later i'm like i'm gonna lift some really light weights and then the next thing you know it just i was like wow i feel a lot better with this blood flowing and this and that and i got gout really bad when i was drinking and then uh, it actually got it when i was in treatment like after a week of not drinking i got it pretty bad there so i'm like okay they say that you know that like red meat and shellfish and this and that and all this things that cause gout. So I'm like, I'm changing the way I eat. Not because I want to like slim down and get fit. It's because I don't want gout. Right. And then I just noticed like eating really clean, which like people say like healthy eating. It's just like just eating clean. It's not eating processed foods um, and exercising. I was like, and not obviously drinking and taking drugs. <laughs> I'm like, man, I feel really good like mm-hmm. all those years chasing those drugs and alcohol thinking i was feeling good just to wake up and feel like shit and then do it again I'm like yeah you can do this every day and like just feel good all the time mm-hmm. and so it just progressed from there that i was like i'm really addicted to feeling good that's why i'm an addict to begin with i think yeah and uh yeah i've just kept it going ever since and like now it's like Every six weeks, I I do this in body scan where it like checks your your body fat percentage and how much lean tissue you have and all this good stuff and 
So it's become kind of the challenge of self. And I think yeah. a lot of people don't understand, or maybe they make that judgment because they haven't put the energy to go down the road of, of you know, physical fitness, changing their diet, you know, changing what they eat. I hate the word diet. Yeah, you know, I don't like, like that like, word either. Yeah, it's like, well, you know, okay, whatever. Um, of that personal challenge. Like this is this is you against you. People might go, oh, look, it's such vanity and what? No, no, that's a you against you thing. Yeah, no, for sure, it's not like vanity. And actually, I mean, that's what I've been telling people for a while now. It's like it just goes back to that whole thing of feeling good and and seeing everybody else around you just you know with their blinders on through life, just eating and drinking and consuming things that we really shouldn't be eating as a society. And they're on medication for this and medication for that. But like, just just to feel way better than them is like, that's what has me doing this. The looks, that's just a bonus. That's a byproduct. The fact that like, I look, yeah, I mean like, I had people that did a trade show in New York uh, in February and like four people over the weekend, one was like an older guy, like he was telling me he was like, he rides his bike a lot. He's like asking me, he's like, so after we got done talking about our wine, he's like, so what's like your workout program? He's like, you look like really good. <laughs> I was like, I almost fell down. I was like, really, do I? And like three other people, like the two older women, like they weren't hitting on me. They're just like asking me questions mm. and like telling me how good I look and this and that. And a lady at Sprouts a couple months ago, it was last year sometime, I was standing there filling up like a gallon jugs of water. And this lady's just like, wow. She's like, I don't want you to think anything of this, but you are gorgeous. <laughs> I was like, what? Thanks, and like, I'm like, wow, that's really nice of you. Well, she you. likes Italian men, you yeah, know? I guess. But like, the whole point is, is like, yeah, like, yeah, I guess, you know, if you make your body look good, that's great. But to make your body look good means you, you're going to be feeling good. Well, and I think that the outward, and I did notice this, like, when you pulled up, it was, you know, this is our first time meeting in person. You had a nice smile, a nice presence, and there really is, I think, all of that that goes with it. And I think people subconsciously, you know, when you are around some man, woman, whatever it is that takes care of themselves, there's a different energy there. And mm-hmm. I encourage anyone, if they have a situation where they're interested in maybe going down a path of you or someone along that, or or hell, I don't care what it is. I don't look at a guy that has maybe the Mercedes I want or something and go, oh, you know, screw that guy or dad. But I go, hmm, if I have a conversation with him, I'm going to ask him, how did you do that? Right. You know, check yeah. it as knowledge, like take it as an opportunity of knowledge, you know, I mean that that's what we do in recovery in general anyway stick with the winners right yep, you know absolutely. we don't latch on if we're two months in we don't latch on and try to ask the guy that's two days in for all the knowledge we're right. there for them but we're going to attach to the five ten twenty year people you know to get that and so you know for me it's like now i'm curious who like i am like yeah. what's the diet okay maybe i do sell myself short maybe i can re- yeah. get up to 210 yeah, I think you, you know could. so <laughs> it's a, dude it was tough dedication. i could tell you that I, oh i was when i i don't i'll waste the the listener's time no it's a fun story so gentleman still a good friend of mine natural bodybuilder him and his wife fitness and uh when i was in monterey they owned a max muscle supplement stores and now I have a great clothing line too, and um, yeah, he whatever reason took to it. And man, my like I I was benching like I don't know like like eighty pound like nothing you know, and so my strength really went up, and I was eating like four thousand calories a day. I mean, wow. I was packing it in, game? and I think I gained 
10 pounds in six months. Wow. Now, granted, any of the fat that I did have went away quick. Right. I'm just, I'm an ectomorph. I'm built that way. I can burn it off. But yeah, like the actual, like, but putting on muscle, oh. Yeah. I mean, like, strength went up. My energy was up. You know, you could, definition was nice. But yeah, building muscle, oh. Yeah. It takes a long time, though. But yeah, it sounds like, yeah, like, my body's the opposite. Like, if I started eating four or five thousand calories a day i mean like even if i'm still training every day like i do i guarantee you the fat would just kind of start coming back um (laughs) yeah Um, that's crazy that's hard because that's but it takes a long time so like i could show you like a picture of like a small transformation from like march to november of last year where i i lost like 36 pounds and my body fat went from like 18% to like five and a half. Mm. Um, but, and I gained a lot of lean tissue though. And so it's crazy, but it's, it's hard, but it's fun and it feels good. And like, and and I go to the gym usually some for a while there, it was like at about 3am. And then the last few months it's been closer to like 345 or four, but well, you sleep by six? Yeah, I go to bed about six thirty, trying to be asleep by seven thirty or eight. Oh like, God, I envy you. <laughs> but like, I, I tell everybody that I'm like, I can do that because I'm not married, I don't have kids. Yeah. Um, so I get it with everybody else my age. You know, my friends, they've got kids playing baseball at seven, eight o'clock at night, and I'm right. like fast asleep. So right. I get it, and you got to get up and go to work, yeah. and all that, but. You know, you just find something that you like. Like I was riding my bike a lot during COVID when that started. I was riding anywhere from 20 to 30 miles five days a week. Wow. But then I got into like the strength training and building muscle. And so then that kind of changed how I, how I do things, yeah. but it's fun. Yeah. Well, and I think it helps me stay sober too. Well, well let's talk because, uh, and just anybody like for me, we've talked about this, like non-alcoholic, you know. Oh yeah, I forgot about that. <laughs> like, like beer, wine, whatever. Not a trigger for me, not a trigger for you. Uh, so we are going to enjoy some of, you did bring some of your wine. The uh, yes, sir. CBD infused? Yeah, so like I mentioned, um, right around the time I got sober, my dad wanted to put CBD in the real wine. I had a quick conversation with the ABC. Mm-hmm. They said, uh, you can't do one. that. We'll take your winery license. So I said, <laughs> what if we remove the alcohol? They said, then it's not wine. And so, yeah, we've been doing this. This is our third generation. Um, fourth one we'll be working on soon. Uh, but yeah, we take our real wine, have the alcohol removed down to less than 0.25%, uh, which is less than mouthwash. Yeah. So I've never really pushed this and it's still not like on the recovery community because there is CBD and CBG in here, but right. it's 100% hemp. There's 0.000% THC. So there's no mind altering substances to it. What's CBG? CBG is kind of what they call the mother of all cannabinoids. Oh, okay. So it's basically a simple way to say it. It kickstarts how CBD works and it has the same properties as, as CBD. Um, really anti-inflammatory, um, but they do say CBG. And again, this is just what they say, as in people that haven't done funded researching because it's not allowed by the government. Right. And we're not able to really say what this is supposed to do, but 
they say that CBG may actually help cells regenerate and heal uh -huh. heal the body, whereas like CBD is just like anti-inflammatory, like yeah. Advil on steroids. Yeah, I've used uh, some bombs and different stuff, and I've had gut issues, and so I've taken some different oral stuff that it seems to actually really help with the inflammation. Yeah, know? for sure. And so they say the CBG actually like heals the body. Hmm. How much healing it does, I don't really know, but I do know <laughs> that this, um, it's low calorie, low sugar. So that's another avenue we're going with it is like a health and wellness beverage. Um, and it like really does for me, like from the neck down, you feel like really just like good and relaxed in like 10, 15 minutes. Mm -hmm. um, we do trade shows where we sample and we sell it like at a discount. I've had countless people over the last couple of years that they try it and they say, it's pretty good. I like it. Oh, I'll just buy it online because I don't want to carry it around. Mm. And I, countless people that come back in less than 20 minutes and buy it there because they're like, that stuff actually works. I feel really good. And I'm like, heck yeah. I'm like, you should, you know, take it out to dinner with you instead yeah. of having wine. Yeah. Take this. I mean, they probably wouldn't even charge a corkage fee because there's no alcohol. Yeah. Do the, um, do you guys run into because of the CBD uh, in it any states you can't ship to and things of that nature? Um, we cannot send it to I think the two Dakotas, South Dakota, okay. North Dakota, and I think maybe Nebraska. Other than that, I think we're okay. We have a company, a marketing company that we work with mm. that their whole thing is cannabis, so they're all about making sure our, our website's compliant. Right and they're the ones that we rely on to follow the the rules and the law and like where we can ship it and things like that um and so i think yeah just the dakotas and maybe nebraska okay no whoops as i'm spilling on my table here i'm gonna get a thing it's really good but yeah and it's different because you could take you know the most expensive award-winning wine and remove the alcohol totally gonna change the way it tastes yeah then when you infuse it with hemp that's obviously really going to change the way it tastes but for me i've been sober for over three and a half years now this rosé is my favorite the sangria we sell the most of uh the sangria should be sweeter the next batch will be but it's really fruity but the rosé to me i mean it it almost tastes like i'm drinking wine yeah like it's it's really good and like i said it gets you relaxed and for people that are into mocktails, I mean, this is the way to go yeah. because you can mix this with some club soda or whatever and put some fruity stuff and, and all that. But, or if you just feel like having a glass of wine without getting drunk and <laughs> yeah. still getting, you know, feeling yeah. relaxed, you know, crybabywine.com. Yeah. Well, and like I was telling you, I, uh, you know, go to uh, uh, some places. I, yeah, I, I'll just make sure I have something in my hand. So I just, I'm past the point of like, I'm good at the no thanks. Or I'm good, right. but it's when the people ask. It's just nice to have something to just be like, okay, leave me alone. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, like last summer, uh, my cousin, little cousin's eighth grade graduation, I brought a couple bottles of the CBD wine to the restaurant, had it on ice, and went and got a wine glass and filled it up, and I'm standing there BSing with somebody, and my aunt, she's going to be 80 next month, she comes up to me, and she gives me this crazy look, and she's like, what are you drinking? And I just kind of smiled and laughed and like was twirling it around. I'm like, it's just the CBD wine. She's like, oh my God, thank God. <laughs> She's like, I forgot about that. Okay, good. Just thank God uh, you're not drinking alcohol. Yeah. Like, well, we'll put the link in the podcast description too. People want to check it out and, you know, tell, yeah, tell, let them know you heard it here. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, yeah, we're going to put a discount code on there for you. So um, that's good. 
KDD. It'll get you 20% off discount wow. code KDD. I got to ask you before we jump into random questions, you know, you brought up, yeah, not, not married, no kids. Sober dating. That's a good, <laughs> that's a good one. <laughs> it's a fucking nightmare, isn't it? Uh, uh, for me, nah. So, like, I got on Bumble, um, like, in May, I think, or April of... Like, I'd been sober for only, like, six months. And, you know, they say you're not supposed to be getting in sure. relationships your first year or whatnot. And I didn't think anything was going to come of it. Just, I was like, oh, screw it. I'm going to check it out. And uh, long story short, um, I actually ended up meeting a really, really great woman. Um, and we dated for, like, two and a half years. So, I mean, we we just stopped seeing each other a few months ago. Mm. And no for no bad reasons or anything crazy it's just yeah, sometimes like, things just end yeah it just ended um one of the sweetest nicest people i've ever met and like my mom is still like friends with her like again no animosity no nothing but so it was like cool like it was weird at first for me because i was like i'm not just gonna come out and say oh i'm in recovery for six months right um but if I didn't want to hide it either, but it got brought up and like maybe on her second date and I kind of just went into told the really short version of my story. And, and then she tells me, she's like, Oh, she's like, my brother just got sober from pills too. Hmm. Like he's been sober for like a year or something at the time. And, uh, I would just say if I had to give somebody advice about sober dating, you know, find a way to, to bring it up and let it be known. And I can promise you that if, anybody whether it's in dating or just anybody in general is going to judge you for your past and for you trying to improve yourself you don't want to deal with that person yeah. period like just say nice seeing you have a nice life and but yeah i mean i wouldn't definitely don't hide it yeah but it's hard to, hard to bring it up <laughs> yeah well for me it was the the, the m most important thing i didn't realize that the shittiest the most lacking area of my recovery was boundaries. And so yeah. once like I started to make boundaries really clear, like I, you know, I went on this one date and I, and I made it clear prehand. I will, I'm, this is how I date because I want you to understand you may not be the only person or only woman that I'm dating. I will pick you up. We'll go, we'll get to know each other. We'll have a nice time. I will take you home. I will drop you off. There will be no, kiss no hand holding none of that uh, i said all that stuff for a guy like me especially with some sex and love addiction history too having done work there it clouds my vision of things mm -hmm. so i'm like and it could cloud yours and a lot of people you know it's the the new thing the butterflies and again the dopamine we get a lot of dopamine oh, yeah. out of you know so and boy there was a lot that didn't like that because it was like it was the challenge to change my mind about my boundaries. So there was a, a yeah. I wouldn't say a lot. We were like four or five first dates that it was just like, uh, you know, it was too much for them. Yeah. Then my girlfriend now, luckily, it was we had known each other a while, and I'm like, this is this is how it is, and she's on board. She, you know, straight edge doesn't have an issue, but she never explored it to get to the issue. She's just like, I've seen, and she's one of those people. I'm like, she was like, I saw it. I'm not going down that road. Twenty years later, shit, I went down that mm, road. Yeah. So, it's tough, man. That's yeah, something. no, it is. But and like now, I'm in a relationship with uh, someone else who's in recovery. <clears throat> she's into fitness. She's actually a trainer, and um, and she's great, and she's been sober i think 
about the same amount of time as me, maybe a little bit longer. But um, it's, I don't know, like at, at first, when I first got sober, I thought like, ah, you probably shouldn't be in a relationship with someone else in recovery. Yeah. But then getting to know this this woman and talking to her and things like that, it's just like, you know, you have like a strong connection with somebody um, that's in the same, you know, situation as far as recovery is concerned. And, you know, if they're committed to keep improving that throughout their life and they're, they're committed to staying in recovery and you got a lot in common with them like that's a pretty powerful bond yeah um because then you know that and we've had these conversations that you have each other's back like you know something crazy is going on in your life or whatever let's talk about it because yeah. we both know from experience that the longer you hold something in, the more it starts eating you, the more it starts clouding your mind and polluting your mind and to start thinking about things a different way and you know, possibly making bad decisions down the road, you know, who knows? Yeah. But like, so yeah, no, it's, it's nice. It's fun. It's interesting. Um, but I mean, Hey, when it comes to relationships and just everything else in life for me and my recovery, my recovery comes before everything else. Yeah because I won't have a relationship. I won't have a job. I won't have a home. And the craziest part about being in recovery and being, I'll be 43 next month, <clears throat> I keep realizing every cliche that you heard as a child that some adult told you as you were growing up, they weren't cl cliches. They were truth. Yeah. <laughs> and they're not bullshit. <laughs> and, you know, we all think we know better than everybody else, especially right. when we're young and, like, teenagers. And it's like, no. Like they were actually telling us that stuff because they just wanted you to get it. Yeah. <laughs> and yeah. So. Yeah. Probably a lot of it, and I think now as an adult, is the uh, look. Trust me, you'll get it someday. You know. Yep. No, that's the best one. Sooner the better. Yep. Oh man. No, thank you for that. And I, I just wanted to, you know, get your perspective and kind of share it. I have not really had that conversation with someone else about you know that process. You yeah. Because I see a lot of people still struggle with it. I know, a lady. You know. God, six and a half years sober, and it's still just like I try the dating, and it's you know, it's a tough area. It is, and like my so my girlfriend that I was with for two and a half years, she drank, but she didn't like really drink that much. Sure. And then like I don't know, maybe six months into our relationship, her and one of her friends they went out on Halloween and they got fucked up, and they both woke up the next day and said like I'm not drinking anymore, and her friend's been sober from alcohol ever since. And my old girlfriend, she, like, you know, had a few cocktails, like, on each holiday. Sure. Like, not getting drunk, not partying, whatever. And so, like, if you're – you can find someone who – they don't have to be in recovery and they don't have to be sober, but it would probably be very hard – I don't think I could do it – be in a relationship with somebody who was, like, a drinker. Oh, yeah. No, it, it, I mean, statistics show if you, like, let's say you have one person goes, gets treatment or whatever it is, gets sober, and the other doesn't, that relationship will fail or that person will go back. Absolutely. It's just the way it is. Yeah. It just is because it's that too much of that environment. I had to learn that too, um, you know, uh, getting to know different people and then you know one in particular and just i came to that realization like you know and it wasn't like a crazy drinker or whatever but there were a couple situations where it's like yeah i'm not i'm sorry this isn't gonna go anywhere because yeah. of the state that you're in and i know maybe for you it helps you relax and now you're being flirty but for me it's an altered reality thus sorry 
you know so i just learned that i'm like nah, i i don't want to be involved with someone that drinks just for me no yeah, judgment exactly. on someone just doesn't work for me yep same thing for me and it's like you know what there's a lot of people out there that that don't drink yeah. so and i think there's a lot more sober curiosity going on i think so know? too because our online sales for our cbd wine in january and february were like crazy like they like dipped in March because they were up so high in like January and, and February, which, you know, we literally was just like, cause dry January is the only thing conclusion yeah. we could come up with. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, I, again, people can drink all they want, do whatever they want. Just if we could help inform people, educate people to make informed decisions is really the goal. Yeah. And I mean, I just wish the government would like, you know, help out with that, but you can't really trust them to do anything, rely on them to do much. So <laughs> yeah. who the hell knows? But like, yeah, it's just, I wish that there was a way just to help people make informed decisions. That's yeah. all. I'm with you. That's a whole nother podcast. <laughs> and, and trust me, I could do it. And I have a feeling you could too. Yeah, Cause probably. as I say, you know, I forget, I forget how it was worded. Somebody that I, I work with from time to time. And it was like, well, I don't believe the government would do that. I'm like, what fucking country have you lived in? I yeah. mean, were you even around for the last three years? Like, yeah. really? You know, uh, or you know, yeah. I mean, media's narrative, and yeah. The, on a from a really dumbed down level, is our CBD wine, for example, it's not federally legal, state by state. Mm. Like you said, you can go see fifteen billboards and see a liquor store on every fucking corner, and walk in there and buy alcohol that'll get you drunk as hell, can kill you, can get you in a car accident, kill people. But the federal government says that you can't have this, which is not a mind-altering substance, which most certainly will not kill you or cause you some kind of disease. It may or may not like have some beneficial properties, but it's most certainly not gonna kill you or harm yeah. you. But the federal government says you can't have that. Yeah. What the fuck kind of clown world is this? We're still attached to the war on drugs, which is a failed thing. And if people really educate themselves in it, it is as you realize it is a big, long ruse. And it continues to be. Yep. Oh, yeah. I know. Yeah. Because that's, you know, I mean. Anyway, again, a whole yeah, other podcast that yeah. we probably get fired up. You know? So, hey, it's time for some random questions. Of course, brought to you by 5150 LTM. Couldn't do the podcast without them. Click the link in the podcast description. Use KDD20. You get 20% off year-round. Of course, always watch for specials. You got the summer special coming up as the weather's changing. I guess we're going into spring, not so much summer, but got all those specials all the time. So, check it out. All right. Uh... If you could play any one superhero, who would you want to play? Like be be somebody's superhero? Yeah, like so if you were a pre-existing superhero, like, you know, and you were say an actor and you got to do it. Play the role of a superhero. Which superhero would I want to be? Yeah. Oh god. Superman, I guess. Right. Can do it all. <laughs> can do it all. Yeah. All right. I just had to ask. Yeah. Man. No, okay. I've, I've never thought about that before. I thought, uh, well, these are challenge. These, Joy. These are the real life questions. Yeah, I know. This, I got this that. Is, this is changing the world. Uh, stranded on deserted island. You could have one movie and one music artist greatest hits. What are they? One movie would be probably Caddyshack. <laughs> classic musical artist uh, he's dead but 
uh, like Sublime. Oh, that'd be cool. Yeah, that'd be a good, good greatest hits. Because they can kind of go all over the place depending on the mood you're in. They got a little bit of slow stuff, you know, more of it's yeah. more amped up, but like. You're kind of really speaking because we're about the same age from yeah. like our, our younger years for sure. The Sublime oh, sure. and, and I Caddyshack. I still listen to them all the time, Sublime. Oh, uh, yeah. Uh, Caddyshack, uh, definitely a lot of memories of watching a movie I shouldn't have as yeah, a kid. Yeah, exactly. You know, right? so I grew up watching it at an inappropriate age, but like, yeah. it was it's funny. It was oh, like, classic, classic stuff. Uh, pet peeves, stuff that just annoys you. <sighs> Uh, I don't really get road rage, but I, what really just annoys me is people just don't know how to drive. Yeah. Like, that just really just – because I drive a lot, so every day just people pull out in front of you. They're, they're turning on a red when you have a green. Like, that's my biggest pet peeve. Yeah. Oh, I know. My favorite one is uh, – so we're, we're at a lot of freeways. It's the people that get on the freeway at, like, 40 miles per hour. That's right. That's 1A or 1B yeah. pet peeve. It's like, can we just bring the speed up just a little bit? Uh-huh. Just a skosh. My God. Uh, all right. Last artist that sticks out then. Last song. Oh, actually, though, I think it's called The Spins by um, Mac Miller. Okay. My girlfriend likes that. <laughs> likes that guy. So I never really listened to him until recently. And I was like, that's a really good song. So we uh. kinda, I kind of actually intentionally put that on when she's in the car. All right. There you go. Get some points, too. Right? Yeah, yeah. Exactly. Got to get some points. Tell me about maybe like we both like music, maybe a unique concert situation or something you've been to. Frank Sinatra. <laughs> Frankie baby. Yeah, man. Frank Sinatra. We you were, do have the Italian dad, don't you? Yes, sir. So, yeah, we were in Vegas, and, uh, like, my dad took us there. My sister was probably seven. I was, like, 12. My brother's 13, and Frank Sinatra was playing at the MGM Grand, I think. I still have a, the ticket somewhere, but, yeah, we stayed an extra night so he could take us to see Frank Sinatra. My stepmom took my sister to go buy, like, a dress. My dad took my brother and I to go get, like, suits or sports coats or something. But, you know, growing up and driving around with my dad all the time and him listening to Frank Sinatra, we liked it. And so, like, still, that was actually the best concert I've ever been to. I've been to a lot of concerts because it was just really cool being young. Not the kind of music anybody else you know really listens to. Right. And he was old at that time, and but he's, it was pretty awesome. He's still Frank up there, right? Yeah, he was. <laughs> he had his Jack Daniels, and he was smoking a cigarette, <laughs> he was a cigarette too. the whole time, right? Uh, yeah. I mean, Frank was great, but there's a lot of bullshit he said, too. Right? Oh, yeah. Uh, all right. This is uh, the floor is yours. Any advice or uh, knowledge you want to drop? Maybe somebody that's struggling. Maybe it's a loved one they have that's struggling, or just you know. Just in general, for me, I know the only. I have no regrets about like how I got into recovery or the extra time that it took. But if the only thing that's holding you back from asking for help is that you're embarrassed or ashamed just ask for help because every single time I tell somebody in recovery and I volunteer that information a lot and I throw out how long it's been. I mean, like, and it's not because I'm bragging. I just feel like if I'm going to bring it up, I'm just going to say it. Mm -hmm. I get people stop me from talking to interrupt me to tell me congratulations. That's awesome. So, and it feels really good when, especially when it's a stranger that you don't know, Mm -hmm. like they're not bullshitting you because that's not your initial reaction is to say congratulations to somebody usually so like i think it's genuine so my point is is that yeah if you are struggling and that's the only thing holding you back like just ask for help because i tried to do it on my own multiple times over like a seven-year period 
couldn't do it mm-hmm. and uh just ask for help and just want to do it because i mean if i can recover and anybody can i promise you that this is the knocking doors down podcast featuring celebrities experts and everyday people who have overcome adversities including addiction mental health and trauma to live purposeful lives and that's what knocking doors down is all about